Hello and welcome to Two Young Drunks. My name is Luke and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Jamie. I'm an alcoholic too. And welcome to the show. So, this week we are joined by Becky. Hello, Becky. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Uh, big shout out to Nigel, who's been patiently waiting for a few weeks now. We can only apologise for the break, but we are back. So, Becky, tell us, what have you had to face sober this week? <laughs> um, so, my partner who I live with is away at the moment. For the first time in a long time, I am in my flat on my own, mm. which is always interesting. It's like, hmm, am I going to be able to figure out how to spend time on my own and actually it's been really lovely um i spent today doing a puzzle nice <laughs> how many pieces uh 500 okay. yeah anything uh, else is too overwhelming yeah <laughs> i uh, i thought it was going to be late today because i needed to finish the puzzle yeah of course yeah um we would have so blamed you. yeah that that was my insanity i ended up getting an uber because the puzzle took yeah, priority. <laughs> <laughs> you were procrastinating. That's what you're doing. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you get this, but I personally, and I've experienced it recently because I've moved into a new place, when I'm in there and on my own for the first time, I'm still just like, right, alone at last, an empty house that's uh, that's no one else can disturb me. Time to get fucked. <laughs> what seedy thing can I do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, I guess that's been an interesting thing this week because I, I was expecting some of that and I haven't felt it at all. Even, you know, other behaviours that I might do, like order takeout or like binge eat food or something, mm. just haven't done it um, so far. I mean, it's only it been, been a few days. Okay, a few days. So, you know, see how I am by the rest of the week. <laughs> how long has he gone for then? A week and a half. Okay. <laughs> that's quite a while, actually. Mm. It's a test. It is, Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I feel pretty okay. That's good. And uh, how long have you been around in recovery? Uh, so it's about five and a half years now. Um, nice. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, you, you, you've been around. I mean, you were here when I first came in. Yeah. You know, I think I met you in um, a 12-step meeting <laughs> before. And yeah, you've been... I mean, you've definitely just like gone for it. Like, I think that's been so evident is that like you've from the get go, you just wanted this and you just went for it, which is yeah. really, really great. Yeah, I definitely wanted it. I mean, I was pretty desperate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what brought brought you in then? Oh, just, um, I mean, I always knew I had a toxic relationship with alcohol, um, but I didn't want to stop um i thought alcohol was the only thing that gave me joy in my life but it was also the cause of most of my problems and um like i was never uh, a daily drinker um i was always a binge drinker because the way i would drink would be straight after work walk down to the pub still in my work outfit mm -hmm. not even eat dinner just drink really fast lots of different kinds of drinks throw up, drink more, throw up again, drink more and go into blackout and then bad things happen mm. every single time. Yeah. Um, 
Although I say that not every single time, like there might be the occasional time where I would have a few <laughs> drinks and go home. Great for your feel delusion. Horribly disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, it was just this consistent feeling of I have no control over what happens when I pick up a drink and scary things keep happening and I keep waking up feeling just absolutely shit about myself and about my life. And um, yeah, and I couldn't work out how to live better. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I upset my boyfriend a few times in a row. Definitely got the feeling he was going to leave and had... Um, a real moment of desperation after God, about a year or so of like trying to control my drinking in various different ways. Mm. Um, like I had a, a diary uh, where I re record my drunks and rate them out of 10 and try and work out what was it about that particular <laughs> night that made it so that I got that drunk? And was it the people? Was it the type of alcohol? Was it the time I started drinking mm -hmm. in the day? Was it, you know, um, and there was never really a pattern. It was just so unpredictable. Um, it's the first drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, just, it was hard to figure out how to like imagine a life without alcohol. Mm until I couldn't do it anymore. Like there was just no way that I could keep going through the same painful situation over and over again. I was broken. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that feeling too well. Yeah. yeah. Just that like the fear of making that transition mm -hmm. into like sobriety. It's like just, I don't even know. It's just fear of the un unknown. And yeah. Just like this thing, this crutch is no longer helping me but i can't i'm just too scared to let it go yeah well it was my identity you know and mm. it was so tied up in all my social circles and and i kind of knew that giving up alcohol would mean giving up some of those friends like i just felt it and even though a lot of them were like oh it's it's great that you're not drinking um that's really good for you they did find it difficult and it was uncomfortable for me to be out at the pub while they were all getting wasted and mm. eventually it did sort of just like the friends that I made who weren't drinking kind of took over and became stronger relationships and stronger bonds but yeah that fear in the beginning of oh my god not only am I going to give up the only thing that gives me joy but I'm also going to give up the only people that make me feel loved um apart from my partner um yeah Luckily, he was really supportive. What was your kind of biggest misconception about sober life before you started to experience it? Well, I mean, so both of my parents are sober. Okay. And so I'd had this whole life of like looking at what a sober life looked like and thinking it looked really boring. Mm. <laughs> um, because the kinds of things that people do when they're sober or the kinds of things that I saw my parents doing were like going for coffee or like having people around to have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to have fun. <laughs> I want to go out and party. I want to wear glitter on my face and like dance around at a festival. And I didn't think I could do those things without alcohol. Um, and a lot of the things that I was afraid I wouldn't be able to do without alcohol, I actually have been able to do mm. or even do better. Um, yeah. 
like the first time I did karaoke without a drink, I was like, I actually just love this and mm. I'm no longer slurring my words and like <laughs> tripping over the microphone and making a tit of myself and just able to enjoy it properly. I have to say, I kind of struggle with something you touched on there in terms of um, the things that I do now. If I'd have gone back and told uh, still drinking Luke that these are the things you're going to spend your time doing, it would have been giving me even more reason not <laughs> to get sober. Yeah. Because I just think, um, you know, these things I enjoy now are things that I'd never even considered before. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm, say, like sharing, for example, when I'm aware there's newcomers in the room, I kind of withhold a bit of that because I'm a bit self-conscious and, you know, maybe this is my own kind of thing to work out. But, and I think it plays back to this identity thing. When I'm telling people now what I'm into, I can hear myself going, <laughs> fucking hell, Luke, you're a bit boring these days. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's, for me, it's just developing that reassurance that, it's okay to be into the things that I'm into now because I just my whole life had this identity that all I ever wanted to do was get fucked and, and so I'm still readjusting it's my my for me my ego I mean that's what that was wrapped up into it was just like which I had no idea about what an ego was really but just about I thought I was cool like to be so tragic and like the reality of the situation was my life hasn't changed that much because I used, I was an isolated drinker. So like, I still enjoy my time isolated and I still do the similar things, but like the delusion that came with being drunk and like my ego going, you know, you're so like bohemian <laughs> doing this, just sat in your room doing drugs and drinking. Like, and then I think I, what you said too, Luke, I identify with is like, like it's my ego still is in there, like trying to think that I'm, different and maybe cooler mm. than some people but it's just yeah constantly challenging that is one of the gifts of recovery isn't it yeah well I, there's so many things in what you both said that I'm picking up on like I obviously spent the day doing a puzzle so I totally get the whole <laughs> if if you told so sober <laughs> me that's what I'd be doing for fun I'd be like oh my god I may as well just die <laughs> but I guess um you know a lot of what I used to do for fun was just what my friends wanted to do like I didn't really have a sense of what I liked or I did but I didn't ever um prioritize that it was always like where are we going okay we're going there okay what's the music I have no idea what the music is I'm just going because my friends are going I don't even know if I like it but they're there and that makes me happy and alcohol's there and that makes me happy mm. um and I would have like things that I actually liked but in secret by myself Whereas um, now I've been able to explore that in terms of like doing a and d, &D group um, oh, and so like, much fun. just so embracing my geeky side. Um, yeah. And just kind of discovering the kinds of things I like and the kinds of things I don't like. I mean, even just this morning um, as a group of um, people I am at uni with and they were suggesting going out dancing. And at first I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in for anything. Mm. And I was like, do I actually want to go dancing somewhere in Bristol on a Friday night? Would I actually enjoy that? Um, and then someone else in the group piped up and said, actually, I don't think I'm comfortable with going dancing. And I was like, so glad you said that because neither am I. <laughs> like, I actually don't think I want to do that. Um, I can go dancing at like a five rhythms group. That's, that's more my style now. 
Um, but going to a place where everyone's pissed up and dancing yeah. to pop music is eh, not really a thing I want to do without alcohol in my body. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you just get develop a whole different awareness of mm. that scene, don't you? Mm-hmm. When you're you're there sober, it's like it's a little bit it's it's scarier, you know. Yeah, you actually like can face up to the unpredictability of people who are drunk. Well, yeah. And it's boring. I mean, I think I found it boring even when I was drinking because I was always the person standing outside of the club in the smoking area, like just chatting to people because it was way more fun than being in the club. Um, I remember like just sort of, you know, moving my body and being like, this is really dull. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's just the ability to recognize that. But I also, when you were talking about um, the, the tragedy thing, it's like so into my my own tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had this image of myself. Sometimes when I was living in uh, Minehead, I would go and stand on the beach at night and I would just like have a slow tear <laughs> rolling down my cheek. <laughs> and, like, the wind blowing in my hair. Yeah. Like, that was my life. Oh, and just like revel in that too. It's like yeah. I'm in an indie movie. It's like there's some right? nice strings playing behind me. <laughs> and it's just like, I've just, the most awful things happen to me. <laughs> Do you think yeah. that's somehow connected to the whole thing of thinking we're the center of the universe? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, I still do that sometimes. Yeah. Like if it's like the rain's pouring and you have your headphones on and you're listening to something, you're like, I'm like, yeah, this, this is just great. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. The melancholy. But I can yeah. have those feelings without it having to be always based around uh, tragedy, mm-hmm. my own personal tragedy. It can Now yeah. I can have those feelings and those moments um but instead perhaps it's appreciating the beauty of nature of a nice day doesn't oh, yeah. to say that um yeah. it can't always be i mean we still have personal tragedy and sadness in sobriety but sometimes it can be nice things as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean you're, you're walking around and like i like to listen to ambient music now that's something that i've kind of discovered in sobriety <laughs> and like film soundtracks and stuff and like walking around in nature to that i just find mm-hmm. like just adds extra like beauty to everything yeah well that's st- one of the things in recovery i'm embarrassed <laughs> about <laughs> okay <laughs> um what are you studying at uni uh so i'm actually studying counseling and psychotherapy nice which is um just the most incredible journey to be on i think that's one thing that if i could go back to five and a half years ago becky and say this is what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. she would be happy about um that's good it was something i always thought about but i always thought i was too broken to help other people um my life was too messy you know um as it turns out there's quite a lot of broken people that end up training to help other people (laughs) but yeah i just the whole thing makes me feel so alive i find human beings fascinating um and the kind of theory that you learn about how we grow and change and how to support people in that um yeah, I just love that now as this huge part of my life. Mm, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that is. So, I mean, when I met you, um, you were working in a zoo, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah. Like, where did this this change come from? Like, oh, was it always just... in the back of your mind? You, like, to just be like, I'll do it. And then you just were like, let's go, go fuck it. It's just been a, like, a total unfolding of um, possibility, I think, in in. You know, I would, I started when I was working in a horrible office job that I hated and um, I was so miserable. And I remember six months into being sober, 
having that slow tear rolling down my cheek on the bus and just like every day hating my life mm. I really wanted to change my life and um that became even more apparent where I didn't have the drink at the end of the day I was used to describe it as like um the day was like a drum roll just like getting faster and faster and faster and then the end of the day would be alcohol which was like the symbol yeah and that would be like okay um but when you don't have the symbol it's just like drums all the time um and i had this like really intense desire to have a leap of faith i remember talking to um various people in my family and sober friends i'd made about you know, do you think it's okay to just like quit your job <laughs> and half the people said no that's really irresponsible and half the people said yeah you're really unhappy you should do that mm. um so I, I kind of put together this plan i can be quite determined when i set my mind to something mm. um so i i borrowed some money and i sent like 50 emails to various different places in bristol um saying i want to get some experience working with animals. Um, I just want to do something different. Animals give me joy. That's the thing I can follow. Like I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, and then did like a different volunteer job every day of the week for a while. Mm. And then this amazing job just appeared out of nowhere um, at the Wild Place Project, supervising this overnight stay experience called Camp Baboon. (laughs) Um, And they hired me. And it was bizarre, like it, it was one of those real higher power affirming moments because um, I was so clearly underqualified for the job, <laughs> but I was the only person who had any supervisor experience who'd applied. Mm. And um, so I'm in this space with all these people that have like done zoology degrees and um, bushcraft experience and stuff. And I'm like, hi guys, I'm in <laughs> charge of you. <laughs> um, but it was great because it showed me that I can basically do anything I want to do and I think that's one of the most important things about getting sober is just like there are no limits like you can explore your life you can have a play with what you want to do especially if you've managed to get sober a bit younger like there's even more time to do that but yeah I mean the spark I think that ended up with me going to towards counseling and psychotherapy was watching patch adams <laughs> it's um a robin williams movie uh okay <laughs> i haven't seen that one uh it's actually about him training to become a doctor but he just talks a lot about um the importance of getting to know the person in healing and mm. like actually just being kind to people and i remember watching that and being like yeah that's what i want to do with my life i want to get to know the person i want to like offer them some unconditional love and i see the benefit in that yeah Mm. absolutely i mean that's such a big part of 12-step recovery too isn't it yeah like just having that empathy and thinking about other people and you're in the position now where you can you know you can do that as living yeah i think that's very fulfilling yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean i i had um client sessions on tuesday and uh I finished my first session with this like giant ball of love in my chest because it was just the most amazing session. And um, I felt so connected to him and I could so see how he was growing and changing and having epiphanies. 
um, yeah, it's just an honor to be like present for that. Mm. And that's something I've experienced through a sponsorship as well. Just watching people grow. I was about to say change. you're going to be a great sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a I'll hard job, <laughs> but it's so rewarding. Yeah. Do you ever like worry that a lot of your time is going to be spent to, you know, other people? Like how, how would you, like, do you think you would manage that well as well? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I have really low expectations of myself, I think. Like, okay. So I'm doing this <laughs> master's and um, I'm already thinking, I'll just do a, a couple of days a week where I have a couple of clients. Like I'm not um, expecting myself to do some full-time uh, 10 clients a day kind of right. overload because yeah. um, I've gotten to know myself and my limits and what I can tolerate. There's so many things I can't tolerate. Mm. I mean, just last week I had, um, so I do an admin job, um, like part-time while I'm doing my studies. And they put me in um, this registration hub thing with people coming up over and over again with questions that I couldn't understand. And like, it was so stressful. All the systems were down. And I was walking home thinking, oh, fuck, I'd love a drink. Mm. And three hours <laughs> of something stressful that's outside of what I can tolerate is all it takes for me to start thinking about alcohol again, mm. even five and a half years in. Um, so I do, yeah, I have to be careful. Like, I want to be able to live a full and rich life and I want to be able to take care of myself. So what's the, when that thought pops into your head, what's your go-to method of dealing with that? Um, so I called my sponsor... I also called a, a friend, um, went through some inventory of how I was catastrophizing, the kind of self-pity that was coming up for me. You know, this whole tragedy thing. My brain immediately goes to like, you're so broken or mm. life is just so always going to head back towards something miserable because that's your... Um, like core state of being mm. like you've been okay for a while but it's like an elastic band and it's it's gonna spring back you're gonna fall apart mm. inevitable doom <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. i ended up writing this prayer um like i think it started something like god please help me to be able to see a bad day as just a bad day oh that's lovely <laughs> <laughs> like that is that is such a nice prayer, actually. I'm going to steal that from you. That's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you. The whole, the whole yeah. thing was pretty good. But yeah, definitely do. That's great. Mm. But that, that's the habit now is like do the inventory, then write the prayer around the inventory. Because for ages I would just do inventories or even nightly inventories and, um, and forget that I'm actually supposed to be handing that stuff over. Yeah. <laughs> that it's not my job to make myself better. Um that it's my job to identify what's maybe causing a problem and then ask for help with that. It's very difficult. Like, I think that's a lot of alcoholics I speak to as well. You know, it's have a very low stress threshold, really. And I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, part of just numbing yourself for so long then to come out like eyes wide open into the world and... Like for me, when I'm faced with everything, like the, just what you described is exactly how I deal with situations too. Yeah. You know, if something's wrong, you know, I'm immediately like my cortisol just goes. <laughs> and yeah. like my, I can feel it in my entire body, mm -hmm. I can feel it in my chest. And 
like it's just no good outcome Mm -hmm. but it's like constant work to just which is part of recovery to just um yeah to just learn how to manage that and like Mm -hmm. like you said just being like it's just a bad day Mm -hmm. like calming yourself down yeah I was reading this book the other day, and this is probably me overgeneralizing your subject area. You're probably going to get that's <laughs> nothing to do with what I do. But it was called Tales from the Couch by a psychologist who yeah. it, tales from his life and mm-hmm. patients he studied. And fascinating book. I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, particularly the bits where he talks about people with mul- multiple personality disorder, people mm. with like 15 people living inside them. Yeah, good Netflix um, series. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit like that film with... Um, Split, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a bit like that, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that yeah. those kind of things are really, mm. really uh, happen in real life. Yeah. And of course, they always come from massive trauma, and they're yeah. horrific to hear about. Um, but in that book, he briefly touched on um, alcoholics and addicts, and there was a moment where it kind of, I took it a bit personally. He was like, oh, "On, on alcoholics, I don't work with them. I don't have time for them." Blah blah. blah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." That was, that was a bit a bit harsh and hey and then fuck I, you guys yeah yeah <laughs> I, I got over myself pretty quickly and I, I, I get his point he was basically saying and perhaps he could have said it a little bit more elegantly that you know you can't start working with someone until they've got that out of the way mm-hmm. because otherwise what's the point and, and, I, and yeah. I get that mm-hmm. yeah. and it made me think in your line of work whatever mm-hmm. you end up in I wonder how often you'll come across someone who thinks they need help um, but you and you know they're drinking too much <laughs> but they don't want to stop drinking. They Mm. want to work on other things. That's going to be an interesting dynamic for you to work on. Yeah, definitely. But then I guess I do respect in a way that, um, that my way of, um, of dealing with that isn't everybody's way of dealing with that. And, Mm. and I have no right to say whether someone's an alcoholic or not. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we had Jess on the show a few weeks Mm. back. She wasn't working a 12 step program. Mm -hmm. I think it is important that we realize that people do do it yeah. without that yeah um i think we've we've covered enough the fact that for us it has to be that way <laughs> yeah and i think that that's what we discussed with her wasn't it mm-hmm. and you know she's found something too you know mm-hmm. she's got her podcast and she you know she speaks about her journey without a 12-step program and you know mm-hmm. it, it works it yeah. works for some people but but, I th- I but think not th- for us yeah <laughs> and i think the crucial thing is with, with jess mm-hmm. as she as she said it's not like she was trying to do it on her own still. She still had a network of mm-hmm. people yeah, she, that yeah. she was trying to contact. Yeah. And I heard it said recently that the most important, sorry, I heard it said recently that the most mm-hmm. important word of the 12 steps is the first word, we, mm-hmm. you know, cause, yeah. and I can't imagine trying to do this. Well, actually I can imagine trying to stop it on my own because of course that's what mm-hmm. I tried, tried to do it, as yeah. we all did before we entered 12 step mm-hmm. recovery. But uh, the steps are almost like, I'm not trying to take any importance out of the steps, but I think above all else, it's having other people to lean mm-hmm. on and be connected mm-hmm. to. Yeah. That is yeah. the most crucial thing. I've actually just finished reading this um, book called If You Work It, It Works, The Science of 12-Step Recovery. And um, there's a whole chapter in there about the importance of building um, a social network of people that don't um, encourage you to drink. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, whether that's in recovery or not, it's just... Yeah, really important to have that, isn't it? Yeah. But even my sister, I mean, she was in um, 12-step recovery for a couple of years and then she left. She's still not drinking, but she connected with um, a shamanic path and um, Mm -hmm. has a a whole network of people within that that support her being sober. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a massively key component of it, isn't it? 
because there's been times where I've taken my foot off the gas with my program and but I've still surrounded myself with people in it mm. like and not the gas off completely and definitely things popped up for me mm. and I went okay this isn't that good of an idea but I still had my friends around me mm-hmm. and I think that's what kept me in yeah you know, it's just yeah and it's great you know it's really great like you get to, the best thing about it is you go somewhere and you walk in and you know you can just start like like yeah. just if you just introduce yourself to someone you'll they'll always talk to you yeah. like you don't have to get on with everyone but like you know you it's the place that you go and you go hey i'm i'm jamie and they'll go and you'll have a conversation right there and yeah it's it's, it's pretty special really that's it it's like my social fix on tap and no matter what evolutions happen in my life no matter what social circles change there's always going to be a place where i can go and feel um connection with people feel identification with people so i think it's gotten to the point now where i i don't even care if i am an alcoholic or not i just i love recovery i love being sober and i don't want to go back to the way i was living um i get too much out of what i'm doing now um yeah it's fun it's just fun it's fun to um be going and doing things with sober people and like relishing in how exciting life can be without a drink or drug in you um you know i went to this camping convention recently and it was just the best experience of my life um it happened to be my birthday as well and they made such a huge fuss of me i had like bunting in the woods and they did this treasure hunt and every um person that i found with a clue sang me a different birthday song and like yeah they really made me feel special um but in the midst of that there's also lots of like vulnerable sharing and mm. people were openly weeping at certain points of the weekend and um and gen- that's, that's like genuine it's like, yeah. that's the kind of experience which i would have um had three days into a bender <laughs> yeah but, but it's yeah. like you don't need you don't need that kind of influence to have those moments yeah and uh and i think recovery as you were saying there opens up our eyes to a whole world of new experiences you know yeah. i thought that i wasn't going to experience anything uh, any more fun when i got, when i got sober or any new experiences and actually it's been a whole world of enriching um life affirming experiences yeah well it's like i mean even the open weeping it's not they're not crying because they're sad <laughs> They're just so overwhelmed with gratitude and joy and love and connection with all these people and that, that they start crying. And I am saying they. Of course, I was one of them. Yeah, like okay. I'm openly <laughs> weeping because yeah. they're so grateful to be here. Um, and just, yeah, reflecting on, um, you know, being so glad that my parents were sober as well. And so glad, especially my mum. My dad um, wasn't sort of part of my life in early years, but that my mum had support systems around her as well so that all the difficult things that came up throughout my life, she didn't drink either. Mm. I've never had to see her drink. And that would have been messy. <laughs> what do you think you've changed? What, how, how do you think you've changed, sorry, like since coming in? What idea did you have of yourself before that's... Um, yeah, and what idea do you have of yourself now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely the... The tragedy thing is probably the biggest thing that's changed for me. I mean, the first um, kind of inventory I did, I could so clearly see 
the narrative that I'd created and how much it was making me suffer. I remember um, I had all these people that I'd listed um, as resentments for abandoning me. Mm. And a lot of them were like um, my godfather that moved to Canada. Like he just moved to yeah, Canada. Like, yeah. like he, he didn't <laughs> abandon me. It wasn't personal. <laughs> and I took everything personally and I fitted it into a, a narrative of pain and suffering. Um, that was like the first thing that I let go of. Like I don't have to be this like sad emo version of myself. I can just be happy. Mm-hmm. I remember actually being at another convention um, early into my sobriety and they did this meditation exercise where they said, um, imagine yourself feeling truly happy. And I could not stop crying. This like waterfall of tears so erupted um, that I was just really glad everyone had their eyes closed because I was really (laughs) embarrassed. I couldn't contain it. But it just showed me um, how foreign that was to me, this Mm -hmm. idea of like actually being allowed to be happy. Um. Yeah, so I think that's one huge change. Um, and then I, I guess being able to take care of myself properly. Um, it was a really slow learning process that I kind of did for myself just based on um, some of the kind of things that I've learned from people. But even just um, doing the washing up doing the laundry, brushing my teeth. Mm. Like these are things I did not have a handle on mm. um, when I was drinking. I remember having maggots in my washing up um, because it had been left so long. I remember having bags and bags, like big black bin bags full of laundry and just being so ashamed of that. Um, yeah, and just feeling so overwhelmed with how to like manage my life. Mm. Um and it didn't change immediately when I stopped drinking. I remember having to um, do to-do lists that were so broken down that it would be like, just wash two plates and then you can go and sit back down in front of the TV. Um, I had to like train myself in a loving way to become a grown-up or something. <laughs> like to, um, well, maybe that's not even fair. There are probably people that were younger than me that had a better handle on their laundry and their dishes. But Oh, it's taking me a long time. <laughs> yeah. to get there like it really has yeah like i would have just like i changed my sheets mm-hmm. like every week now Whereas crazy before, i don't even I do I that would, still like, <laughs> like every like three or four months maybe yeah and it was but that's like that's good like i think i'm still not amazing but progress has been made mm-hmm. my standards have gotten up and mm-hmm. progress yeah. over perfection yeah that's my sponsor. So the, the more effort I put into that, it's like I'm sending myself this message saying, I care about you and your well-being. Like, I'm taking care of you now. You are safe now. Um, yeah, which is really nice. And I can get excited about things like my new flash mop that arrived this week. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the final, potentially most important question. <laughs> what would you say to the newcomer in recovery? Mm. I guess um, it always makes me think of this scene in The Matrix (laughs) where um, Neo gets, he's in this car, you know, with people who actually do know what the other side looks like and he's doubting himself and he's about to get out the car because he's like, oh, just no, there's no way I can do this. 
And I think she says something to him like, you've been down that road before. You know where that goes. And I, yeah, if you've already been down that road before and you know where that goes, try something different. Take the red pill, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you might find that actually you wake up and that you start living in a way that makes you feel more alive and you're not in an illusion anymore. Um, it's not always easy. I mean, if you look at the Matrix as an example, it's uh, real life isn't necessarily beautifully um, poetic, you know, but it's real and it's authentic and parts of it can be exciting and parts of it can just be lessons and opportunities for growth. I love it. Yeah, I, love I really like that. <laughs> I'm going to watch The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Do, you'll see it. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Becky. Thanks for having me. We hope you've all enjoyed listening at home. This has been Two Young Drunks, and we shall see you next time. Um.